Psalm 107, verse 31 and 32. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. And that's what we're here to do this morning. Um, If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt, and we are so glad you have chosen to join us this morning. Whether it's your first time with us or your thousandth time, we welcome you, and we're glad you're here. Um, If you want to connect with us throughout the service or later on this week, um, if you scan this QR code on the screen, it'll take you to that menu. You can find the scripture that we'll be reading today that Tommy will be preaching out of. Um, You can find community groups. You can um, also give through that app as well. We don't pass along an offering plate, but if you wish to participate in God's mission through giving, you can go through there, or there's also a um, a box in the lobby um, on the way out. Um, Before I read our scripture for today, I want to um, read our Grace Life welcome, and then we'll read from 1 Peter. Um, Here it is. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. So this morning, Pastor Tommy will be preaching from 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you can turn there in your Bible or scroll there on your device, and we'll have it on the screen as well. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort you, or I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd the flock among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, and good morning to those of you who are not with us physically, but you're watching from home. Uh, we're grateful for you too. We know that God will provide the, the wisdom that you need and the direction. His Holy Spirit will give you clarity when it's time for you to rejoin us. I want to just pause and pray, and then we're going to jump into the passage that Matthew just read for us. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, thank you for another Sunday to to gather in freedom, to gather without wondering if uh, authorities are going to bust in here and arrest us or persecute us or hurt us. That's not the case for so many in the global church and the persecuted church around the world. And we lift our brothers and sisters and their leaders up to you in very dangerous places, Lord, putting their neck on the line, risking it all so that your kingdom may grow and so that Christ, the risen Lord, may be honored 
and that souls may be gathered to you and redeemed. And uh, we're grateful for that. We're thankful for Patty Parks, who will be rejoining us soon from Ireland um, to reconnect with us, give us an update, and uh, find more partners to help her. Pray that you would continue to prosper her mission there and be uh, most least evangelized, but most uh, least evangelized English-speaking country in the world. Lord, we're grateful to be her sending church. And I pray that you would direct our attention now to this passage of Scripture. I pray this would not be uh, seem irrelevant to people because we're going to be talking about what a pastor and an elder does. I pray they would see it as super relevant, God, because so many people don't talk about this. And many people are, are left guessing at best at what it is exactly that shepherds and elders and pastors are called to do and what they're not called to do and how they're called to do it. And it's created great confusion and it's hurt and, and confused many people and, and harmed and injured and endangered others. So I pray that we would give our attention to this today and give me an anointing. I pray your spirit would rest upon me, Lord. I'm dependent on your spirit. There are powerful, wonderful, beautiful things to behold in scripture. And uh, I am just a man and, and I need your help to show these things to the people, and they need your help to see them, Lord. We're dependent on you and your power completely today. This is just going to be ink on a page or words floating through the air if your spirit doesn't come and, and help us, Lord. So I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a special Sunday for us for a few reasons. Reason number one, I think I told you last week, our church turned seven years old this week. So happy birthday, Grace Life. We don't officially celebrate that until the uh, fifth Sunday in January where we will have an outside service and some food and some other things you'll be hearing about a little bit later. So uh, we're still here by God's grace. We're still alive. We're still functioning the way he wants us to function. He has sustained us. He, Jesus gave birth to us, right? We, we are his, his child. The, the Spirit created his church. And uh, not only has he sustained us and preserved us and kept us, he's grown us. He's grown us, so not only did we turn seven this week, but today marks the first official gathering of our student ministry led by Matthew Carr, our discipleship pastor. And so I'm thinking, thanking God for that. That is a, that's a huge answer to prayer, and you're going to hear more about that in the announcements. That's tonight from six to eight. If you are a student um, in grades six through high school, uh, you're certainly invited, and you can get that information a little bit later in our announcements but here's the third thing uh, about this Sunday that's important. It's because we are going to ordain two men who are going to join our lay elder team today. So that marks even more progress and growth. It's another tremendous answer to prayer. Um, and I'm going to hopefully explain to you why from the scriptures today. That's such a momentous thing that we need to recognize and pray about and celebrate so uh, we're going to give our attention to, to this passage today because of that. This is the perfect <clears throat> excuse me, opportunity to talk about shepherding God's way. That's the title of this passage, Shepherding God's Way. And I know, as I've already mentioned this, uh, this probably sounds blah to, to many of you. If we're honest, you can be honest. You hear, what's he going to talk about today? Uh, shepherding God's Way. Oh, great, we came on the wrong Sunday. Well, maybe you didn't. Maybe you came on the right Sunday because this is one of the most relevant things, um, and I'm hoping to show you why today. This was written, this passage, First and Second Peter, were written to Christians who were afraid, they were anxious, they were confused, they were scattered everywhere. And of all the things Peter could have packed into five chapters of this epistle, do you know he marks out a passage and he talks about church leadership? 
What would you think to explain to people who are scattered, they're afraid, they're going to be killed, uh, they don't know what to do, they don't know how to handle or view suffering, and you lay on them like, hey, by the way, this is how shepherds are supposed to shepherd. This is what elders do. That seems strange, doesn't it? And you say, well, First Peter obviously then was written to, it was written to elders and church leadership, but you'd be wrong on that because the very next verse says this. Right after the verses that Matthew read, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, and he's not talking about younger pastors or younger shepherds or younger elders. He's talking about younger people. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So all that to say this, there is no secret playbook for church leadership. There's no secret playbook. This is not a manual that's hidden in an office somewhere that only elders lay their eyes on, and you're just kept in the dark. Hopefully, we're doing what we're supposed to do, and you just need to be quiet and submit, right? No, that's wrong. That's totally wrong. There's a standard that you are to help hold us as elders to, and God wants you to know exactly what that standard is, what it is exactly we're supposed to be doing, the manner in which we're to be doing it, and the motivation that drives that. So you need to especially pay attention today because we want a biblically qualified leadership here, and we want to be accountable not only to one another as elders, but to you as a church. That's God's design. That is the model of the New Testament. And listen, when that's not followed, bad things happen. Bad things happen. People can get abused. People can get hurt. People are in danger because their shepherds aren't shepherding. They're not doing what God called them to do in the way that God called them to do it. So just because we have a model, that doesn't mean that every church follows that model. Some don't, and it never ends well. When we shepherd our way on our terms for our ends and purposes, that never ends well. We mislead and we hurt the church. It may look alive. It may look fruitful from the outside. There may be a lot of activity. It reminds me of the Old Testament story of one of the prophets who was cutting down a tree with an axe, and the axe head flew off the handle, and it sunk into the river, and they had to call Elijah over to raise it to the surface because it was borrowed. It was on loan. You remember that story? Some churches are like that. There's, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of noise, but nothing's really happening according to what God wanted. It's just a lot of activity, a lot of busyness. Maybe it's an inch deep and a mile wide. That happens in so many churches. And the landscape is littered with church leaders who have done just that. They have shepherded, quote unquote, uh, their way according to what they thought was best and have either ignored or downplayed or just neglected and forgotten what God's word says. And the landscape is littered not only with those leaders who are disqualified, but with the people they left behind in their wake who are very confused. You know, whenever David committed his sin, one of the things that the prophet who confronted him said was, you have given occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. Because they're seeing this and the wreckage and the carnage and the shrapnel and they're saying, Psh, you're no different than us. You're no different than the world. So, uh, you know, the last several years, big, some big platform, you may use the word celebrity pastors, have fallen. And I had a slide that, that I was going to show you, but I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't, every time I look at that, it makes me sad, and it's not necessary. You would know probably most, if not all, of these men. Uh, what I wanted to tell you is that all of those men had a couple of things in common. One, all of them had doctrinal beliefs, theology that you and I would probably be in agreement with on paper. They had websites, and you could go to their statement of faith, what we believe, what we teach, whatever, however it's worded, and you would say, yep, yep, yep. 
Jesus is Lord. The Bible's true. It has authority. It's reliable. Jesus was sinless. He rose from the grave. Check. But another thing that all those men uh, had in common with one another, hopefully not with us, was that they had neglected what Peter tells us here in this passage. They'd said, you know what, plurality, all, uh, just a, a community of men who are like-minded that hold one another accountable and are accountable to the church, we got a better way. We're going to go with the CEO business type secular model, and we're going to call the shots. And uh, I was sober when I, when I looked at the faces, and I was sober by that, and I was, you know, sober is a big word, and it, and it carries in it humbled and also afraid somewhat, like, Lord, I'm no better than any of these men. I got the same fallen blood flowing through my veins, the same fallen heart, redeemed by Christ, but not glorified yet in, in this body. And a lot of those men started out good, man. They had a, a good vision. I want to see God's kingdom built through my humble efforts, they would say. And I want to reach people for Jesus. And this is all for him. It's all about God. They all started out that way, I'm sure. And people were coming to their church, coming to Jesus. People were being saved and rescued. And then they were given a platform, and their influence grew, and they were flattered. And the next thing you know, disaster, tragedy, scandal. That can happen to anybody. That is not unique to mega churches or celebrity pastors. It's not unique. That could happen here, too. I don't want it to, and I know, you, I know you don't either. That's why I want to read this so you know how to pray for your leaders. You know how to relate to your leaders. You know how to think about your leaders. That's important. So I hope this does not seem boring or irrelevant to you or an off Sunday where you think, man, I chose the wrong Sunday. I don't think you did. And I'm glad there's a good crowd of people here today. I would wish this whole place would be filled with people who know now how they're supposed to view their shepherds. We're not celebrities. We're not superstars. And when we're treated that way or when we view ourselves that way, disaster is coming, I promise you. Because one thing the Bible makes clear is pride comes before the fall. And the greater and deeper the pride, the harder and more disastrous the fall. And the more shrapnel there is, the more people that carry around wounds with them. So all the men that I could have listed were all Protestant evangelical pastors like me. They all started out wanting to reach people for Jesus like me. They had what I think is sound theology like this church does. And then something went askew. But one of the men I did want to show you their picture try to get this thing turned around here, was this man right here. And if you've never heard of him, that's probably a good thing. Maybe you've never fallen under his, his influence or his teaching. This is Mark Driscoll, and he planted a church in Seattle, Washington, uh, over 20 years ago. And he is a very influential leader. He's a very gifted communicator, and a lot of people followed him. They had very humble beginnings, and they grew really quickly really quickly. In fact, they had over 13,000 people that flocked every Sunday to 15 different campuses spread across five states. Incredible influence, incredible platform, incredible reach. Uh, and for 18 years, they grew, they grew, they grew, they grew. And then it seems like overnight, there was this colossal train wreck of a collapse with he and the church and uh, it was just, it was tragic. And just recently, there was a podcast that more people have talked to me, uh, both in this church and other churches and leaders that I know, have said, have you listened to the podcast about Mark Driscoll? Have you listened to it? And it's a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it's a 12-episode po podcast, and it just chronicles, it's a, it's, the storytelling is really well done. They interview ex-members, ex-pastors that left, 
And the first half of this, really the whole thing, is devoted to the leadership style of Mark Driscoll. And it's really sad. A lot of the people that I've talked to have found it, they have found it uh, painful because I think at any given point in our lives, all of us have been connected to or maybe sat under a leader, maybe not even in the church. Maybe it was a, a father figure or an employer or somebody that, that had authority over you and they were abusive. They were uncaring. They were unsympathetic. And so a lot of people that listen to this felt pained by it. Um, and a lot of people felt like it was eerily familiar because, again, I will tell you, abusive, intimidating style of leadership is, is uh, ubiquitous. It was not just unique to celebrity pastors or to mega churches. In fact, when he planted that church as a Reformed pastor, you'll know more about what Reformed theology is when I come to chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 in Romans. Uh, but he was a Reformed pastor. And uh, a lot of Reformed pastors kind of fell into that trap for, for whatever reason. And so this is a story that, that resonated with a lot of people. And it actually helped some people come to terms with, man, we were under a, you know, maybe an, a, an abusive pastor. And uh, sounds like that they're telling my story, you know. But here's some of the things that were pointed out on that, on that podcast. The real issue with Mark Driscoll was character. It was character. He was gifted, yes. He had a large platform, yes. What he said resonated with people, and he said it well, yes, but he lacked character. And that is the most important thing to God. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, let me say that again. The most important thing to God when it comes to church leadership is character. It's not gifting, okay? In fact, we'll, we'll look at it in a minute if we have time. First Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 list 15 qualifications that an elder, a pastor, a teacher, a shepherd have to have to be qualified to do uh, what a shepherd does. And do you know how many of those would be called performance gifts? One. Do you know that? One. I have to be able to teach. And it doesn't even mean uh, that that's my, my, my strongest gifting. Because we have after today, we're going to have five elders at, at this church, and only one of them is, your, is the lead teaching pastor. It's me. These men are, it says they're apt to teach, means they're able to. They know what the gospel is. They're able to explain the storyline of the gospel. They're able to identify heresy and false misleading teaching. They're able to correct that. That doesn't mean they've been to seminary. It doesn't even mean they like to teach. It just means they're able to. So out of the 15 qualifications, only one of them is that you can speak. And Mark Driscoll could speak. He could speak really well. But a lot of the other qualifications, all the other qualifications actually deal with what? Character. Character. What's the most important thing to God? I mean, you see that in the Old Testament. Here's King Saul, head and shoulders above the rest. You know, I've learned to pay attention when you're reading the Bible, especially the Old Testament narrative, and it gives a description of a person. It's very important to pay attention to that. And here was Saul, head and shoulders above everyone else, the most handsome. Look out. <laughs> and when Goliath appeared and taunted Israel for 40 days, hey, where's that big king we got, man? Where's that competent man who's gifted and powerful? He's a warrior. He's a hero. He's a soldier. We don't know. We can't find him. But there's this little runt of the litter named David. He keeps sheep, and he just came here to bring food to his brothers. And he says... Who's this uncircumcised pagan making fun of Israel? I'll take his head off. 
And he was humble, even in saying that. That was humble confidence. He said, you know, I've, I've shepherded sheep, and uh, I've rescued my sheep from lions and bears, and God delivered me. He'll deliver me from this giant, too. I'll do it. And then they tried to suit David up, like, put this armor on. He goes, I don't need that. I don't want that. It's clumsy. I've never tested it. I got my trusty slingshot. It's all I need. Character. The runt of the litter. God will often choose the runt of the litter. You know, that's why I'm here. <laughs> hey, you're laughing, but I want to tell you something, man. It's, it's true. It's true. God chooses the weak. He chooses the runts. Why? Because God gets more glory that way. He gets more glory that way. That's humbling to know that. So that's the story, man. All 12 episodes of that, you will hear things about Mark Driscoll's bullying, intimidating style. He came to uh, refer to himself as the brand. He called himself, he said, I'm the brand of Mars Hill Church. The brand should be a vision of me. He said this, Mark Driscoll holding the Bible in the pulpit. So Mark put himself at the center. That's a big problem. <laughs> Because there's only one person who belongs at the center. And uh, pardon my English, it ain't us. It ain't me. It ain't you. It ain't anybody else. He loved to shame people. He loved to steam over his opponents. He was unteachable. He was uncorrectable. When people would leave the church, he would encourage his members and his leaders to shun them. That's terrible. That's terrible. And look, I'm at the risk of sounding like I'm putting a feather in our hat. Knowing that churches are really tempted to do that because we like to see our congregations filled up and don't want to see a sheep leave and go to another congregation, we have built that into our culture here. We want to be a sending church. When somebody leaves this church and goes to help another church or goes to help another mission, we want to send them off, man, with prayer so that there's no suspicion, there's no bitterness, there's no envy, there's no anger or resentment. Not everyone wants to do that which is why we don't send somebody off every Sunday, but we ask them, can we send you? We want to send you. When it's appropriate, we want to send you. If you're running off and you've got unresolved sin, we're not going to send you. We're going to call you back. That's what a good shepherd does, right? But one of the reasons that Mark Driscoll was given a platform for as long as he was was because people would say this. Now, I'm trying, this is a long introduction. I'm getting to the passage, I promise. They would say, well, the ends justifies the means. He's reaching people for Jesus in the most unchurched city in the world that has more dogs than people. That's what they would say, Seattle. And he's reaching them. Look at 13,000 people coming that wouldn't set four, uh, foot in a traditional church with stained glass and a pipe organ and all that. He's reaching to them. They got tattoos. They got faux hawks and mohawks, and they're rough, and they're grunge, and they're there. So you got to say there's fruit from his ministry. He's making disciples. But listen, friends. How you do what you do is just as, if not more important, than what you've called to do, what you've been called to do, what you've been called to do. And everyone's making disciples. Here's the question you need to confront yourself with. What kind of disciples are you making? What kind of disciples are you making? Are they humble? Are they gentle? You know, the Bible says, let your gentleness be known to all men. That's just for everybody in the church. I mean, leaders at least ought to meet that qualification. That means sweet reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be known to all men. That's one of the qualifications for an elder is to not be pugnacious as the King James Version. Not quarrelsome, not argumentative, not always uh, polemical, wanting to argue, wanting to fight. If that's something you're drawn to, you're going to have to really watch yourself. It would be easy every Sunday to come up here and point out people that are doing things wrong. 
then that draws a crowd. Everybody comes to watch a, a fight, don't they? That's why people love hockey, I've been told. I don't know. So, he was drawing people, and that was one of the, the grounds people gave to let him stay in ministry for as long as he did and hurt as many people as he did. Listen, health and growth do not have to compete with, you, with each other. And if we had to choose between health, a healthy church, and a numerically large church, I'm going to choose, choose health every time because that's more important to God. Healthy doctrine, healthy leadership. That's God's way. God's way is always best. And when Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, do you know how many people were in an upper room? This is not a, a I'm not throwing shade on mega churches. I'm not, I promise you. But I feel in very good company that there were 120 people in an upper room after three and a half years of ministry by the Son of God. 120 people who were faithful and praying and ready to turn the world upside down. I feel really comfortable and, and glad about that. <laughs> Resonates with me. So, we're going to look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 today, and we're going to look at three questions that we want to answer about shepherding, okay? And they're answered in this passage. Here they are. Number one, what do elders do? Number two, how do we do it? And number three, why do we do it? And all three of those, you'll see as you look at this passage, they're all answered there. All three questions. So it's an easy outline, and we're going to try to get through all of this together. So first, what do pastors do? This is what Peter says in the beginning. So I exhort, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So, what we're supposed to be doing is shepherding. And instantly you are confronted with this, this imagery that's really humbling. Shepherds and sheep. Of all the animals and mascots at God's dis disposal, he chose sheep. Does anybody know of an NFL team or a high school that has as a mascot a lamb? Not a ram, totally different animal. Don't try and judge, yeah, rams are tough, and they can, no, 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 sheep. No horns, no, they don't butt heads, they're, they're just sheep. Uh, let me tell you a few things about sheep. I know most of you already know this, I'm sure, uh, but we're, we live in America, and you don't, you're, on your drive home today, you're not going to pass a flock of sheep or a shepherd. So maybe this is helpful imagery to, to, to get you in touch with. Sheep smell really bad, Okay. Uh, they're not the most intelligent animal in the world. They require human intervention at, at all times. God made them that way. He created sheep uh, to live within a flock and to require and depend upon a shepherd to help them. They lose their way really easily. They're very weak. They're very docile. They don't. Have you ever seen a sheep fight? You're not going to see a, a gang of people throwing money on the ground to watch two sheep fight. They won't do it. When sheep get afraid, they run. That's all they know how to do. They run. And then they fall off a cliff or into a ditch, and they have to get rescued. That's why the parable about the lost sheep, you don't see that sheep trying to go find a shepherd. He was running. He was lost. Um, they do that naturally. And God created the perfect metaphor for, for Christians because we're in a flock. You know, all the metaphors and analogies that are used, a family or a building um, or a field, and we're a flock of sheep, and we have a shepherd, a chief shepherd. 
and we need Him, and we need each other. That's the image that, that God used. So a shepherd is somebody who leads by serving and who, who serves by leading. He watches over the flock. And that word elder is translated in English because when you think of that word, you think of maturity. I hope that's what you think of. I hope when you think of the elders at this church, the first word that comes to mind is maturity and gentleness, not swagger or bravado or self-importance or intimidation. And shepherd is used because it means to look over, to watch over. There's been kind of three words used to describe what a shepherd does. He leads the sheep, he feeds the sheep, and he bleeds for the sheep. He protects them. He will lay down his life for the sheep. A good shepherd will do that. That's what Jesus called himself. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what the word elder means. And, and I, I want to tell you this too. Um, there's a passage in Titus that tells us this is, this is not optional for a church. I mean, if I were to ask you what has to be in place for a church to be a church, I wonder if one of the things you would say is that there has to be an elder. There has to be elders. This is what Paul told Titus, one of his sons in the faith. He said, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He's saying, you need to put what remained into order. What does that mean? If you do not have elders ordained and installed at a church, how could you biblically describe that church? Disordered. Disordered or incomplete. Not ready yet to be functioning as a church. In fact, this is what, uh, this is what Alistair Begg said. He said, most unsolved problems in a church life can be traced back to defective leadership. They don't have elders. They don't have shepherd. They're just a flock that's maybe scattered. And that's what Jesus said when he came in the New Testament and he looked at all the Israelites on a mountainside and it says that he had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep scattered without a shepherd and harassed. That's what happens to sheep without good shepherds. They get harassed. They get chased. They get confused. You know, sheep basically do two things. They eat and they drink and they sleep. I guess that's three things technically, but it's what they do. And if they don't have help, they'll eat toxic plants, poisonous plants. They'll die or they'll get sick or they'll run into a rapid stream and they'll get swept down the stream. It's danger on every side. That's why in Psalm 23, what's the opening line of that psalm? Do you remember? He what? Leads me beside Still waters, not moving waters. That's dangerous. Your shepherd has to say, this is, this is a nice, serene, tranquil, fresh water body source, so water source, so you can, you can go eat there. There's no gators in there, and there's no rapids or white water in there. And also, he makes me lie down in green pastures, not where there's toxic, poisonous plants and poison ivy and poinsettias and whatever, whatever else may be around. He's going to protect you from wolves because there's wolves everywhere in the Middle East. That's what a shepherd does. So Paul told Timothy to appoint elders, and here's the really interesting thing to me, and I didn't see this until we first planted this church. Every single time, with the exception of two that are justifiable, every single time the word elder is used in the New Testament, it is in the plural. Plural, that means more than one, more than one. Establish elders. And what does Peter say here? He says, I exhort the elders among you. I'm a, as a fellow elder, he says, a church needs elders. And that means this. 
we have a tendency to appoint a person who is super gifted, celebrity, and we have this hierarchy model in the church, a pyramid, where there's one guy at the top. He makes all the shots. He makes all the decisions. And he steamrolls anybody that gets in his way. And there's a reason why God has said, I want a plurality of godly men to lead a church together. They're accountable to one another. They're answerable to one another. I, I, I believe this. A man who can't be questioned is a man who can't be trusted. And you can hold me to that. You can hold me to that and all the other men here. And another thing we would say at this church is, is this. If serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. We're supposed to do this as an example. And, and I love the fact that the two men we're going to ordain today, along with the others that are lay elders here, um, they serve. They already serve. A man a long time ago said, you need to pick elders who are already eldering. <laughs> pick shepherds who are already shepherding, who are invested. They're known. They're serving. They're present. They show up. They attend. They sacrifice. They give. And we've picked men like that. You've affirmed them. You were involved in this process of, of choosing these men. Here's another thing to point out in the New Testament. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says this, let the elders, again, plural, he's talking to Timothy, who is a pastor at Ephesus, so there's one church here, and Paul's assuming there's more than one leader there, presbyteros, it's in the, it's in the, the plural tense, that word, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now you think, oh, great, yeah, he's going to bring that up, so you want honor, right? Well, listen, the point I'm making today in bringing that up is this. Not all elders do what I do. I think I mentioned that a little bit. That you're supposed to be able to defend sound doctrine and describe the storyline, proclaim the gospel, but that doesn't mean that your main gifting is preaching. Do you see that here in this pa passage? It's honor your elders, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, meaning this, there are some elders who don't what? Labor in preaching and teaching. They do other things. They have other responsibilities. They're shepherding the flock. Maybe they're not feeding them. Uh, maybe there's another elder doing that, but they're protecting them and they're leading them and they're ministering to them and they're helping them when they're sick and providing care for them and ointment for them, for their wounds and all kinds of other things. So I wanted to tell you that's what elders do. We preach and we teach. Sure we do. But we also lead and we protect and we comfort and we care. We provide care. We provide oversight. That means to look over, to watch over. That's what... Elders are called to do, and look, sometimes when, she, when sheep run away, have you heard of this sheep named Shrek in New Zealand? For six years, this little guy uh, evaded shear time. He said, you know what? I'm sick of this. Sick of giving my wool every year to make people wealthy? I'm out. And somehow, he made it to the other side of the island. By the way, if you're wondering, how could that happen? New Zealand? In New Zealand, sheep outnumber people 10 to 1, so... He was, a, he was a member of a 17,000-member sheep flock, I'm, I've been told. So he slipped out somehow, made it to the other side of the island, and they found him six years later. He was not in good shape. They shaved enough wool off of him to make suits for 20 large men. And, and it was told, this was televised because he was famous, Shrek the Sheep, um, that when he was shorn, is that the right word to use? that he did a little dance. He was so happy. Why? Because like 60 pounds, man, he'd been carrying around. Did you also know because of the oil and the lanolin and sheep, when they produce wool, uh, wool if they're not shorn uh, regularly, which is annually, 
They get heavy. They get top-heavy. They can't run away from predators. Thankfully, New Zealand does not have any wolves, or this guy wouldn't have lasted probably six days, let alone six years. So they get dirty and filthy. They can't even go to the bathroom. They, they get polluted and toxic, and they die. So uh, sheep definitely require intervention. And this guy was shorn, and uh, I don't think he ran away any longer. And you know what? There's a lot of Christians like that. They're like, you know what? I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. I don't want to serve. I don't want to get shorn. I don't want to give. I don't want to... F- <laughs> I don't want to sacrifice for the greater good. I don't need shepherds. I'm on my own. And off they go to the other side of the island, and six years later you find them, and they're like, dude, <laughs> help. Because <laughs> you know what? When you run away from the shepherd, that's bad. Not good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all day. <laughs> we will be here all day if we don't move on. So let's keep going. So a lot of our lay elders you're going to find, and this should be the case, they're not seminoids. They haven't, <laughs> uh, that's not, I went to seminary, that's a good thing, okay? Uh, some people call them instead of seminaries, cemeteries. It just like pfft, kills all your passion. It shouldn't be that way. But lay elders, it means they're not on the payroll, which is probably a good thing because greed is less of a temptation for them. The lay elders at this church, some of them are retired. Some of them are managers. Some of them are small business owners. That's the way it ought to be. It could be teachers or mechanics, or, and they bring expertise from other secular fields that sometimes a pastor is, is not in tune with. That's good. That's the way it ought to be. Lay elders, press bureaus, they function uh, and, and, and serve in a very important role. So that's what we do. That's what elders and, and shepherds are required to do. They look after the sheep. It's a humbling thing to know that God picked that animal to describe us. We're dependent. We need help. It's a dangerous way to live your life, but it's, uh, if you follow God's pattern, it's, it's a good way to live. Here's what one man said. I should put this up here. There's a book that all of our elders were asked to read by Jeremy Ryan, and it says this, Elders pastor a flock, teach doctrine, refute error, Nurture the members toward maturity, track down strays, govern and lead, and diffuse conflicts to name a few of their duties. So that's how you can, as you think of your leaders, I don't want you to just think they teach the Bible. Uh, these are all the other things we're called to do. And it's not an easy calling. It's a glorious calling, but it's, a, it's challenging. We need, we need your prayers. We need God's help. To do that, it's, it's a glorious calling. It's a challenging calling. Philip Keller wrote a book about sheep and shepherds. He said this. He said, the behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. More than any other livestock. So think of the most dependent animal you can, and the sheep requires more help. Think of your hamster or your goldfish. You go dump them in a river that doesn't have piranha, they're going to be good, right? A sheep, you go dump them in the middle of the wilderness, not going to go well. You can do that to your cat. You shouldn't, but they'd probably survive, right? Cats are really independent anyway. <laughs> we, had, we had 15 rabbit beagles when I was growing up, and I loved rabbit hunting, and my dad did that for his boys. Got a great dad. And... Uh, so we started accumulating and training rabbit beagles, and we would go hunting, and sometimes they would get so enamored by this trail of this rabbit through a cotton field 
they would run it for miles and miles and miles, and it would get dark, and we were ready to go home, and we were calling them, shooting our shotguns in there, and they wouldn't come back. So do you know what you do when you go rabbit hunting and your beagle won't come back? You leave an article of clothing on the ground where you unloaded them from the truck, and you come back the next morning, and they'll be laying right there. It's, it's pretty cool. It works. Did it many times. You don't do that with a sheep. <laughs> they won't be there. In fact, if you have a pet lamb, do not take it to Disney World. Bad idea. They'll be toast. If they get lost, <laughs> they're, they're done. So anyway, I'll probably belabor that point. That's what a shepherd does. Now, how do they do it? Well, let's look at the next part of this passage here. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful game, gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's how we're supposed to do it. And you notice it's interesting. It gives us like this negative. It almost gives us a negative list. Don't be lazy. Don't be greedy. And don't be a bully. And if you look at what disqualifies a lot of men, it's, it's one of those three. And it's usually another that's listed in other parts of the Bible. And it talks about lust and sexual deviancy. But here, what he focuses on, and I love that about Peter, he's so humble. He's saying, look, we are required to be gentle. We're not to domineer it. We are not to be abusive. We are not to try and control the sheep by intimidation or by fear or by shame, the way that Mark Driscoll did his congregation for 18 years, and it blew up on him and collapsed. And a lot of people were injured and harmed and had a really bad understanding of what a shepherd is and what a shepherd does. He says, you are to do it willingly. That means intentionally. Deliberately, we don't view this as a duty, it's a delight. Can't imagine doing anything else other than what we do. That's why, do you know one of the first qualifications for an overseer in 1 Timothy 3, you know what it is? If a man desires the position of an overseer, he desires a good work. That word desire, it's a word in Greek that's very intense passion. It's even used for I don't, I don't want to confuse you with this, but it's used in other scenarios for a, a romantic passion because it's that strong. It doesn't mean that an overseer has a sexual passion. It means his passion is, could be compared to a romantic passion of a new couple on their honeymoon or something, okay? It's a strong passion like, I want to do this. I want, I want to have this responsibility because I love people. I love God. I love his church. I love his kingdom. I want to build these people up. I want to provide oversight for them. I want to see them grow. I want to invest in them and build them up and protect them and love them and care for them. You don't do it because, well, I tried everything else and I couldn't do it. And You don't have to be talked into this. In fact, if a shepherd has to be talked into what he's doing, it's, he probably shouldn't be doing it. And that was the first thing we looked at when we were inviting you to nominate candidates for this. That was the first thing I asked them. Do you have a desire to do this? And if they said no then that was really the end of the conversation. It's like it's maybe the wrong time for you. Even though they may, may meet every other, uh, all the other 14, 15 qualifications, if they didn't have the desire, that means their heart's not in it. You don't want to pick them. Because you know what? When things get hard, and they will, and they have, and they do, one of the first temptations that man is going to be faced with is, well, I didn't want to do this anyway. Have you ever faced something hard that somebody else talked you into? That's your out, isn't it? Well, this wasn't even my idea. You, did, you, you told me to do this, right? We used to have a term for this in Southern Baptist life. It would be mama called. Yeah, your mom, you know, 
thought it would be a good idea for you to be a pastor, but nobody else did, God included, you know. This is, you can't, nobody talked you into this. You feel compelled to do this. This is an epithumeo is the word in Greek. It means intense passion, intense desire that nobody can talk you out of. That's why Charles Spurgeon, one of the first things he asked the pastors that came to his college was, if there's anything else you can do, then do it. He said one of the greatest things he did in the course of his ministry was talk 250 men out of being elders. That's really strange to hear, like, really? That's the top thing you did? He said, yeah, because imagine how disastrous it would have been had they accepted a call that, that God didn't issue, <laughs> that somebody else did. So they're passionate. They're not lazy. Lazy. They don't do the work hesitantly or begrudgingly. They do it willingly, feeling compelled. It actually means uh, according to God. They do this according to God. Number two, and this is just going to be a, a sentence or two, overseeing them not greedy for gain, but eagerly. In other words, you're not doing this for a paycheck. Because you know what? There may, there may come a time when the paycheck's not there, when the budget doesn't, it's not going to be able to do it. But lay elders probably don't face that temptation in our church because they're, they're not on the payroll. Um, but you don't do this for gain whether financial or sexual or any other gratification. You do this for the honor of Christ and, and because you care for the flock. And number three is overseeing, overseeing them not as domineering but as examples for the flock under your charge. In other words, these are God's sheep. They're not our cattle. There's not a, listen, there is not a Grace Life brand on you somewhere, Okay? You're not a herd of cattle. You're a flock of sheep, and you belong to God. And when it says that we are amongst, it says that the elders are amongst the flock. We're not above. We're, we're sheep too. That's a strange uh, analogy is that I am a shepherd, and I'm a sheep. I'm not above you. I'm equal to you. I require the, the shepherding and the care and the love and the counsel of these men just as much as you do. And when we start to view ourselves as outside of that and above that, that's when we get abusive and controlling and intimidating and angry, and we get envious, and proud, and toxic. That's when bad things really happen. That's when we kind of have this posture. Bow to your sensei, <laughs> you know. I'm in charge here, you bow to me. It's a bad way to, to lead a congregation. This is a call to, to humbly serve others, not to use your position to lord it over them at all. In fact, that's really a problem, I think, in, with mega churches and mega church leaders. If I were to ask you, what qualities do you think God is looking for for a shepherd? What things would you list? I mean, it's really, it's really astonishing. If you look at the worldly qualities, do you see all those? Do they, are they gifted in this area? Can they make things happen? Are they a go-get-it kind of person on top of everything? Do they network well? Do they have this ability, that ability? But when you look at God's list, look at this. Above reproach. By the way, that, that phrase, above reproach, it means nothing sticks. If an elder were accused of something that sounds outlandish, you would say, oh, there's no possible way that could stick. It would be like a snowball. If you've ever lived in a place where it snows, the first snowfall, it won't accumulate. You try to make a snowball and it falls apart. That's what happens to an accusation of an elder who's qualified. It just doesn't stick. They're above that. Above reproach, husband of one wife, 
slow, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manages his household well, not a recent convert, well thought of by outsiders. Let me qualify what I said earlier. When it says above reproach, what I was intending to say is you would think this would be the last person in the world that would be true of. Unfortunately, sometimes it is true. And that's why we have a, a team of elders uh, and that their, their lifestyle is public and you can see. I hope that makes sense. Um, those, are the, those are the qualifications that God gives for lay elders. And we are to be examples of the flock. That means this. If you took a brand new Christian and you said, look, if you want to know what a Christian is supposed to look like and how he or she is supposed to live, look at this person right here. Look at this elder. That's what Jeremy Ryan said in that book. You should be able to direct a newborn believer and say, this is, this is what a Christian, a mature Christian should look like. This is how he or she should live. And the last thing is, why do we do it? That's the last part of this passage. And look, I know there's a lot more places that I could take us to. I wanted to just stick to 1 Peter 5 today. The last part of this passage says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Man, what a glorious thing. Diane, we were talking about titles. How should I title this? And she said, how about the weight and the glory? We almost went with that title. It's a C.S. Lewis book that he wrote. But it perfectly captures this. There is a weight and responsibility to being a shepherd, to be an elder. Um, but there's a glory that comes with it. And, and a lot of that glory we all share together, right? It's not like shepherds are going to get crowned with glory and you're not. We all are when we're serving King Jesus. But the emphasis that Peter is making here is that we're doing this for Jesus. We're not doing this for anybody else's accolades or approval we're not doing this so that we can get more influence or so we can get a bigger platform or that so we can get more clicks and more followers and put more people in seats. We are doing this for the honor and the glory of King Jesus. And I love the fact that when Peter was writing this, this is the Apostle Peter, man. He wrote this. This is Peter who walked on water, raised people from the dead, cast out demons, and did a host of other miracles you read about in the book of Acts. And when he talked about himself, this is, this is what he said. I'm a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. You know what he said? He said, I saw Jesus die. I'm an elder because I saw Jesus die, and I'm qualified. Meaning that the greatest and most significant historical event was at the center of what Peter considered to be his role as a shepherd. That's what he was shepherding people to. You know, uh, Ephesians 4 says this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. Ephesians 4 says that shepherds are gifts. Guys, it's hard to, it's hard to say it makes some of these points. It sounds so self-serving, but it's in the Bible, and I don't want to withhold that from you just because it feels awkward to say it out loud. <laughs> hey, guys, did you know that I'm, I'm a gift to you? <laughs> it actually says, though, that, listen, I want to be biblical. <laughs> And he gave, who? God. God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He gave them their gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If Jesus gives us a gift as a church... That means we need it. 
That doesn't mean you negotiate what it is. It means you need the gift, you look at what the gift is, you look at what the gift does, and you look at the manner in which the gift does it, and you thank Jesus for it, and you honor it, and you follow his path. Amen? That's what God has called us to do. And we're at a point in Grace Life Story where we are ready to add two more elders, and so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, we've only done this one other time, and we've, we've, we've you know, had some, some transition and turnover since then, so this would be helpful for all of you to see this. The Bible says we're supposed to lay hands. Uh, God's elders and, and shepherds are supposed to lay hands and ordain new elders, so we're going to prepare to do that here at the end of the service. We want to do that so that as a church we can deepen our growth, we can strengthen our discipleship, and we can widen our impact. That's our vision, and that's our mission and I know that some of you uh, still, you may be thinking, well, what does that got to do with me? Well, listen, I want you to know that we, we need your encouragement. We need your prayer. Uh, and the Bible says that elders rule. You know, maybe it feels even hard to say that in light of all the, you know, abusive and toxic shepherds that are out there. But elders are called to rule, and they're supposed to rule well. That means they're supposed to rule gently, with humility, in love. This is what Paul David Tripp said. I wanted to read this quote to you goodness, man, I can't even read it from here. Can you guys see that and read that? All right, I'm going to walk over here and hopefully I won't fall off the stage. Humility. Humility in, in Peter is, uh, the whole epistle is just riddled with humility. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humility means you love serving more than you crave leading. You love serving more than you crave leading. It means owning your inability rather than boasting in your ability. It means being more excited about your fellow leader's commitment to Christ than you are about their loyalty to you. Man, that's a good, that's a good quote. Mm. It's about bearing the power of position rather than craving it. It's about being more motivated to serve than to be seen. That's by Paul David Tripp in a book that our leadership here read called Lead. So that is what we're after. That's what a shepherd does. That's how a shepherd does it. Uh, and that's why a shepherd does it. And would you please pray for us? Would you keep us encouraged? And would you hold us to the standards that we have looked at in the Bible today? We want to be shepherds like Jesus. Jesus was the ruler who came to serve. But, and then he was secondly the, the servant who came to rule, right? That's a, that's a paradox that the world has a hard time understanding. But Christians understand that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask uh, for now just for Mike. Um, and for Bill, Mike Priest and Bill Roth, would you come down? And young men, Jackson and Noah, can you guys scoot back just two, two seats there, two rows? I'm going to ask those men to sit on those front four seats there, and I'm going to ask our fellow elders, um, Steve, Cliff, and myself, we're going to join them down there. And I would ask if anybody has been ordained in this room into the gospel ministry, you can join us down here. And, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay hands on these men, and we're going to ordain them in the gospel ministry. We're going to ordain them to, to be elders. Um, and then after that, we're going to do a second tier, okay? We're going to invite their spouses to join them. And uh, because, of, because of COVID, you know, normally what we would do in the second wave of laying on of hands, we would invite everybody to come down, but that seems like that, that could jeopardize everyone's health. Let's all get together and breathe, breathe everyone's breath and germs. So after we lay hands on them, uh, we're going to just ask everyone to put your hand on the seat in front of you if you want to participate with us, and uh, we can all 
charge them and recognize them and affirm them and pray for them together. But first, uh, ordained men are going to lay hands on these men and ordain them. And these are our lay elders here. And this is Michael Wyckoff. He's been ordained in the gospel ministry at a Methodist church. He doesn't serve as a pastor here, but I've asked him to join us today. So uh, this is Bill Roth, and this is Mike Priest. And you know them already. These are not men that you're unfamiliar with. If you've, if you've attended this church for any given time, they're both involved in community groups. They're both involved in serving. They get here early. They stay here late. Uh, they meet all of the qualifications. Thank you guys for putting that up there. They meet all of the qualifications that are listed in First Timothy. And uh, with flying colors, if you want to use that, uh, they passed all the nomination committees that that surveyed their qualifications and, and talked to their wives. And it's been a, a long prayerful process. We don't take this lightly at all because we want this church to honor Jesus, to honor his word. We want God's hand to be on this church. We believe it is. And I want it to stay on this church. And no way do I want our leadership to be unqualified or disqualified. And I would ask you, this is just like it was a, a wedding of sorts. You're not just guests today, you're witnesses. You need to hold every single elder and shepherd at this church to the standards we talked about. And I want you to know we are open. If you have a concern, if you have an issue, if you have a, a, a complaint you need to make, you come to us. And if you have any problems being received by any of these men, uh, you come to me, you pray, and we'll get it worked out. We haven't had that issue in the past. I'm thankful for that. Um, but here's what I want to do. I want to lay hands on these men. All of us can. And we're going to pray for them. I got the microphone, so I guess I'll pray today, okay? But, but, but you can pray with us, and we'll, then we'll invite their spouses and everyone else. Lord Jesus, you are the chief overseer and shepherd, and you have given us the supreme example of love and care and humility and gentleness and sacrifice, and you didn't just risk your life for the sheep. You gave your life for the sheep, Lord, and we want to follow in your footsteps. We want to, we want to care for the flock. We want to uh, see them as you saw them, Lord. And if they're harassed and scattered, we want to feel sympathy and empathy and compassion toward them, Lord. And we want to care for this flock well. We want to make this flock stronger. We want to build them up and equip them and empower them and invest in them and disciple them. And we want to know and be reminded that we are not above the flock in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, we are amongst the flock, Lord. We are sheep as well as we are shepherds, and we need one another, and we need this flock to pray for us and to hold us accountable and to love us. And, and uh, so I pray especially today for, for Mike and for Bill. Thank you for their godly example. Thank you for their wives, Christy and Christina. Thank you for their children. Thank you for their home. Thank you for all the ways they have already sacrificially served this church and served this church well. Thank you for the, the humble way they have... Uh, surrendered and submitted to this process, Lord. I know it's been, uh, hasn't been easy. It hasn't been short. It's maybe been awkward at times, but they have shared their testimony with us. They've shared where they believe there's weaknesses in their life, and they've been vulnerable and transparent and honest, and I am rejoicing in my spirit, Lord, to, to recognize them today. We didn't create them, Lord. You created them, and really in ordaining them, we are only recognizing what you have already done and laying hands on them publicly in front of our church and saying, look, we recognize these men are elders, they're leaders, they're shepherds. And so we do that today with, with humble hearts, with sobered hearts, and with grateful hearts. We celebrate new leadership, and we ask for your blessing and your protection on these men, on their families, no doubt. They will become closer in the crosshairs of the enemy, and they're going to need your protection, Lord, and your help and your strength and your power. And Lord, if for any reason at any time these men stray um, 
and, and, and just are just caught up in something of some kind, I pray that they would be open to correction, that they would have repentant hearts. Unlike some of the men uh, that we could look at, and, and unlike the man we've talked about earlier who is still unrepentant and has been disqualified and has gone over to another church, instead of stepping down, he stepped over and, and, and went and planted another church somewhere, Lord. We, we pray that we would be held accountable to the standards that you've given us. So I pray for Bill, and I pray for Mike, and I thank you for them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you're able to, Christina and Christy, if you want to come and sit beside your husbands. Behind every uh, godly man is a godly woman. And so, and we want to invite you. We're going to all participate in this. I've never done this before with the laying on, laying on of hands of chairs. But uh, you know what? It's, it's not magical anyway. It's just symbolic that we are all participating in this as a congregation. These are not just some elders. These are our elders. These are our shepherds. We recognize them. We affirm them. We're thankful for them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to hold them accountable. So uh, uh, would you do that now? Would you put your hand, just simply put your hand on the chair in front of you and uh, put my hand on. Lord, I pray again as a congregation, thank you for these men. Thank you for bringing our church to the point where we wanted to reflect a biblical model of leadership as seen so clearly in so many places in the New Testament, Lord. It's, it's not easy to do that, Lord, and it, seem, it's, it has seemed at times much easier for, uh, honestly, Lord, and you know this in my heart, just for me, to, for me to be in charge of everything and make the decisions and how we're going to spend money and what ministries we're going to start, that's easier, and it's also unbiblical, and it's also dangerous, Lord. Um, and we don't want to do that. We, we're not here just to do the easy thing. We're, we're here to do the right thing. And so as a congregation, we are recognizing uh, your model. We're thanking you for it. It's so clear. It's not confusing. It's, uh, it's, it's not uh, clumsy, Lord. It's very clear and, pl and plain. And as a church, we see these men as having met these qualifications, and we pray that you would empower them. That, that we are entrusting them with, with, with authority and with, with responsibility. Help them, Lord. Please help them to, uh, to be up to that task uh, according to the power of your Holy Spirit and the prayers of, of the people here. Be with their wives. Be with Christina. Be with Christy, Lord. Watch over them. Help them to, to just be a blessing to their husbands and, and to their church, to pray for them, to encourage them as they're able, to hold them accountable, Lord. Uh, to serve along with them, to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, to follow their leadership in the home, be with their children, be with their friends, be with uh, their jobs, Lord, their influences. I pray that everywhere they go, they would be an ambassador for King Jesus and show the world this is how Jesus shepherds his church. Help them, Lord. Make them humble to confess their sins, to acknowledge when they're out of line, and to receive your correction. And we ask and pray all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you, man. We're thankful for you, and we're thankful for, for your wives. Amen. You continue to pray for them, and if you haven't shaken their hand or, or met them, you can do that service for now. We're going to do what we always do. I'm going to call our worship team back up, um, and we're going to sing a song of reflection. We do this every Sunday. We, we call it our, our Selah song. There's a, if you read the book of Psalms, there's a pause. Uh, there's a word that's Selah, and it just means stop, pause, Take a breath, reflect on what you just read. It's powerful. 
And we hope all of the sermons uh, and, and the passages of the Bible we talk about have that impact on you. You want to stop. You want to reflect. You want to ponder what you've heard. And we have a team of people in the back today. If you want to just go back there and pray for these elders, or if you want to pray for yourself, or if you need help, if you need counsel, if you have a question, we have a group that are led by one of our elders. Bill Roth leads that prayer team. And uh, listen, a little bit later... Uh, maybe next week or the week after, I'm going to share with you the way that we have structured the leadership here. Each of these elders are actually responsible for a group of people in this church, and we want you to know who, which elder is responsible for you and who you're responsible to go to. That was too much to pack into one Sunday. We've already had a lot of information today and a lot of truth. So look for that in an upcoming service, and, and we meet as elders. We meet twice a month on a Tuesday night. Uh, and we pray for you, we, we address problems, we make decisions, and we try and figure out how to shepherd you best. So I just wanted you to know those are all five of the lay elders, and then, or all four of the lay elders, and then, then me. So thank you guys. This is, this is uh, in my opinion, the greatest church in the world. Not because of me, in spite of me. You guys are amazing. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, it's like, hey, what are, you, what, are your, what are your plans for the future? I have no plans of going anywhere. I love it here. I love this church. This has been one of the, the top privileges and joys of my life, other than marrying Sarah and having the children that I have, is shepherding this church, and I'm thankful for you, and I think God has an amazing year for us, uh, and I'm excited to see what it is and join him in it. Amen? Amen. You guys want to sing for us? Amen. And then uh, Megan's going to come and give us some announcements. me mm-hmm. 
bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, He will hold me fast. Raised with Him to endless life, He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. Just a few announcements for you guys today. Um, Tommy had mentioned already in the service, which is super exciting for this year, Student Grace Life Student Ministry has their first gathering tonight um, from 6 to 8. That's at um, Matt and Alexa Carr's house. Um, you can scan that QR code and click Student Ministry to join the group and get the updates on that um, if you're a parent of a student or a student yourself. Or if you have the Church Center app, that's the absolute easiest way to get all of the information, um, even easier than doing the QR code. Um, I did want to mention also for student ministry, the rhythm will be that they'll meet twice a month. January is a little off of the rhythm just because we're, you know, navigating after the new year and holidays. Um, so next, not next week, which is the 16th, but the 23rd. Um, Students will also be gathering, um, and it'll be more of a fellowship structure for that second gathering of each month. So then February will pick back up normal rhythm for them. They gather on the first and the third um, Sundays of the month, the first one being um, getting in the word together, discussing, um, and then the third Sunday um, will be a a fellowship um, for the students together. They'll do movie nights or game nights. Um, there will be more information and more um, details on those fellowship times. So if you are a student or you're a parent, you're going to want to click that QR code or um, join the group in the app um, so that you get the updates on that. Um, super, super exciting. Um, so students, tell your friends, parents that you know you have other parents that you know who have students. Uh, make sure to share that with them as well. Um, and then community groups um, are going strong again for the year. Um, we have picked back up after the new year, so you can scan that code or you can look on the app um, and get involved with a community group. Um, once you scan the QR code or look in the app, you can see all of the locations um, and get updates. If you have never been to a community group before and you would like to visit each of them, you're not you know, if you go to one, you're not just stuck there. Um, so please uh, know we'd like you to 
you know, and not that any group you would be stuck at because they're all awesome. Just to clarify, I heard um, But just so you know that that's, you know, we, our community groups welcome you. And if you're, um, you've never been to one or you're hesitant, we, we want you to come. We want you to try them out. We want you to find a good fit um, for you. Um, so please uh, check those out if you want to get plugged in um, with a smaller group here at Grace Life. Um, and then lastly, if you want to stand, we're going to say our charge. Last week, um, we talked about uh, not just keeping in what we've learned here, but uh, taking it out with us as we go um, throughout the week as well. So we're going to charge um, charge you and charge ourselves um, before we go today. So if you want to say this with me, I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.